I'm Joyce Maynard. Welcome back to Telling Your Story. In our last podcast, I explored with you the concept that I call the container. Anybody who's taken my creative live class or one of my workshops is familiar with this. The idea is that you've got this big unwieldy story just exploding out in all different directions of lots of experiences, lots of feelings, lots of themes. And it's asking a lot of yourself as a writer to put them all together in one story. And so what I recommend is that you don't do that, that you instead tell a smaller story. I'm a big fan, as you may have heard me say, of the short personal essay as a way of beginning. But also, even if you're tackling a big theme, the death of your mother, the end of your marriage, an illness, the loss of your home, some happy themes too, the becoming a mother, your experience of raising dogs, breeding dogs, whatever it is, those are big global topics. And I want to urge you to find a small story that allows you to look at the bigger one. So we talked about the big concept of the small container the small story that gave edges and containment to these unwieldy stories. I used as an example when we talked before a modern love column that I published that really was my way of exploring my long-term resistance to the idea of getting married and to trusting love, to trusting a relationship after the end of my marriage when I was in my 30s. There's no way to contain that big abstract idea. But the way that I did choose to explore it was in the story of one 24-hour period that I spent at a hospital in Boston awaiting the results of sitting in the waiting room while my very dear and precious second husband underwent surgery for pancreatic cancer. It was not an essay about pancreatic cancer. It was not about losing my husband, although I did lose my husband. It was really about discovering what it is to be part of a couple. And that's a big abstract idea, but there was a very concrete scene and set of characters. Me, my husband, and the waiting room is the setting. And I was able, within the container of that story, to talk about my young marriage, my divorce, the 24 years that I spent without a partner, meeting my husband, falling in love with my husband, my husband asking me to marry him, my own resistance to the idea of getting married, our wedding, the very romantic first months of that relationship, the diagnosis, chemotherapy, radiation, up to the surgery. All that was contained within a 1,750-word essay. Okay, enough of me lecturing. I want at this point to introduce a guest. And I love it when one of my writing students is willing to explore her own personal experience with me in this podcast. So I've invited one of my favorites. Gosh, (laughs) they're all my favorites. But I love Betsy. And Betsy came to my workshop in Guatemala. Betsy, we are talking to Betsy from Colorado. And I'd like to just say hello, first of all. Hi, Joyce. It's so great to get to talk to you. It is so great to talk with you. And I want to begin by telling you and everybody else how grateful I am for your willingness to explore a very personal story and an intimate story in a very public setting, this podcast. One of the things that I always say at the workshop, as you know very well, Betsy, is that what is said in the circle stays in the circle. But Betsy was willing to share her story with us, which is why we get to talk about this one. And maybe you'd begin, Betsy, by just telling us the parameters of what you were tackling in the manuscript that you originally submitted. And then we're going to talk about what we did about it. But take me back a little bit to what you sent to me and shared with the other women at the workshop. 
So I have not in my background thought of myself particularly as a writer. Um, I was a teacher for 25 years and so I taught a lot of children how to write, but I also wanted some clarity as I went into this, as I call my third act of my life at 65 years old. And I was looking to know more about myself and how I've dealt with my own issues coming through life. And so having been following Joyce for about 35, almost 40 years now, when I saw on Facebook about the workshop this year in Guatemala, a little voice said, this is it, let's do it. And it's a memoir workshop. And I thought, well, I've got some really good things I want to explore. But the one that rises to the top again and again is my relationship with my adult son, who has an illness called schizoid affective disorder. It's a form of schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. He is now 37, just about 38. And we share my home. He has his own apartment here. And we have been on an incredible journey since he started getting ill in his late teens, end of high school. And I wanted to explore that because Matthew and I, my son, we have done quite a good job of being open with each other, with our families, with our friends about mental illness. And now with me. (laughs) And now with you. Absolutely. But I, in the past, I've spoken about it as Matthew's mother and not so much about how it impacted me. And so that was a twist for me. I wanted to know how being Matthew's mother has impacted me mm-hmm. uh, and how that has changed my life, mainly for the good, but mm-hmm. it's been a lot of incredible pain. I won't, you know, there's just no other way to say that. You know, it's interesting. I don't want to interrupt you, but I was just reflecting on what you just said, Betsy, that we're hearing a lot these days about the concept of appropriation. And it's often spoken of in terms of cultural appropriation. And of course, we are now realizing that's not a good thing to presume to adopt the point of view and interpret the experiences of people whose lives we do not know. And it's a complicated one because as a writer, as a fiction writer, I certainly... I believe in imagination and I want to go outside of my own personal experience when I write. But in the context of your story, you just identified something so important for a writer of memoir. You do not get to say what it's like to be Matthew. As well as you know him, as well as you love him, as much time as you've spent with him, you don't live inside his head. But you absolutely own the story of what it is to be Matthew's mother. You're the only person on this planet who can tell that one. And that's the story that you did set out to tell. Good for you. So right away, you made an important choice, a right choice, good choice. Right. Yeah, more important than I even realized when I started. And the experience of getting to write this story, getting to share it with the members of the workshop and with you, I can say without a shadow of a doubt, changed my life. And we can, you know, talk about that. But that experience of getting to know myself better through my experience, through the pain, and then through sharing that, it's so much more incredibly powerful than I could have even imagined. 
Well, in an earlier episode that you haven't heard yet, we talked about why a person should even consider writing memoir. And you've just identified one of what I consider one of the best reasons. I always ask the writers who come to my workshops, as Betsy did, to submit a piece of writing in advance so that we can hit the ground running when we get together and everybody's read everybody else's piece. Describe to us a little bit, Betsy, what you wrote, what you shared with the group initially, because obviously, as you know, it went through a big transformation over the course of our workshopping and our time together. Right. For the most part, I told a chronological story about Matthew becoming ill and how, especially in the early years of his senior year in high school, when he was acutely ill and hospitalized. And then, you know, the, some experiences I had with him because Matthew is a character that, you know, that any of us would love to hang out with. And so I wanted to share my outlook or experience of what that is. And at the same time that we were going through something horrible and that he was not in control for the most part of his day-to-day life. His mind was, was ill. And at the same time, we both got to have this incredible triumph of equanimity, a certain amount of health. And as a teacher, I learned a lot about empathy. And I became, and I talked about that in my initial story, that I am twice the teacher I would have been if Matthew hadn't gotten ill. Mm -hmm. I learned so much about what it's like to have a child that is struggling. And so I was able to look through that lens and it made a huge difference. Matthew is, I think I said he's 37 now, and he is disabled, and he does some very part-time work on IT, and he loves to tell stories himself. He's actually a very good writer, and he loves drama. But for me, there was a lot of grief involved in being Matthew's mother, and that continues to be true. I'm never going to be a grandmother. Um, Matthew does not have romantic relationships. He has different kinds of relationships with different kinds of people than I ever would have expected him. He's an online guy. You know, he sleeps all day and he's gaming at night. And he's made a life for himself where he's pretty comfortable. And he, at the same time, he can be depressed and he can have suicidal ideation He sees a doctor regularly and they have a great relationship. And so I I really trust in that a lot. I'm going to jump in here because you've given us a lot to work with. I took some notes about what you said. And this can be one of the really annoying things about hanging out with me if I, you know, even editing our conversations. So forgive me. But because this is a learning environment, I'll mention some phrases. A lot of grief involved. Painful equanimity, empathy, triumph, different kinds of relationships, depressed, suicidal ideation. These are all the kinds of ways that we do talk when we're having a conversation. But these are all the ways that I'm going to ask you not to write in your memoir. You've spent a lot of time with me, Betsy, so you know this lesson. I mentioned in an earlier segment of this podcast, I talked about the concept of, can you draw a picture of this phrase? Can you make a movie of this phrase? Suicidal ideation is what I would call dead language, as you know. Yes. But the concept that it describes is painfully, emotionally 
alive. I have a child who thinks about killing himself. Feel the difference on your nerve endings and the, you know, the hair on the back of your neck when you say, I have a child who tried to kill himself. You wrote in your essay, actually, my son left a knife block outside my bedroom door. That is a scene. That is something I can draw a picture of. And that is the difference between the dead language, the abstraction, and the storytelling. There is a little story in that simple sentence, that simple phrase that tells so much. And that's what I want to get to now as we look at your story. I have Betsy's original manuscript. And as you know, we worked on it a lot over the course of the week, Betsy. So this is old news to you and you've already gone way past this one. But just to share with our audience, here were some of the areas that you covered in the seven pages of your first crack. I want to say right out the gate, Betsy's a good writer. And there's, there's no big crime that Betsy is committing here. She's already way ahead. You know, the figurative language and just having done that again, you know, as I did in my writing, for the first time, I see that as protection. Uh-huh. So you don't have to get into that, you know, yes. my son left the knife block outside my door. It is an incredibly painful picture. Suicide ideation, it's a little bit more benign. You know, we all know examples from politicians, you know, generals during the Vietnam War who used language to conceal what was horrific and make it seem benign. And it would be really maddening if you had to go through your whole life thinking, what would Joyce think about the way I expressed this last sentence? So please don't, don't burden yourself with that. But since we are specifically talking about storytelling and good writing... And you did some really good storytelling and good writing. Let's look at how we can take those big general concepts and put them in a container that gives us a scene and a story. I'm going to go through this manuscript and I've underlined certain sentences, each one of which is a story, basically. Opened up the Denver Post and on the front page was an article written by my son describing the worst day of his life when he tried to cut his wrists during Spanish class. That's a big deal. A mother reading a story about her son trying to kill himself. And I'll just say, trying to kill himself. The next paragraph you have that when he was born, like every parent, you just, you felt he was perfect and he could do anything. You got a divorce. Don't we all know, those of us who had a divorce, a divorce is a huge story right then and there. After the divorce, I did what folks in a 12-step program called geographics. You know what I'm going to say about that word, geographics. (laughs) dead language. What you did was, let's take it apart. Imagine you're speaking to somebody who's fluent in English, but doesn't know any of the dead language and the cliches. I moved a lot. And in fact, I can't think of any better way to say how much you moved than to list all the places you moved with your son. And then we'll actually feel, again, viscerally, we'll feel what that moving was like. So you've got your moving, you've got the fact that you became a Waldorf teacher. Fascinating. There's a story being a Waldorf teacher. And those of us know who who are familiar with Waldorf education, you take one group and you follow them through many years. That's a whole other story. A whole other story could be its own story. By the time Matthew was in junior high, he was suffering from depression and anxiety. And I want to say dead language. For any parent, mother or father, to watch your 12 or 13-year-old suddenly slipping away to a dark place is terrifying. What did that dark place look like? 
It is not for Betsy to imagine being Matt, but she can talk about Matt coming home from school, closing the door and hearing him play Nirvana for the next five hours. Whatever it was that you experienced through your ears and your eyes, you get to say. We took a road trip to visit colleges. That's a story, and it's actually a container, a road trip you take with your son, except it wasn't a road trip like a lot of people take with their sons because this was a son who was not like other people's sons. Then we have, he got very angry at you in Las Vegas and he wanted to get home. He wasn't usually angry, but he that scene in Las Vegas is once again a scene. Then we have the next paragraph where he's leaving the knives outside the bedroom door. Then we have a psychotic break. Big phrase, no picture. Then we have visiting hours at the hospital where you go to see him. He'd fashioned a cape over his shoulders and he came flying toward you. Yes, there is a picture. Then we're on to, he gets released from the hospital. He gets a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. He takes a golf club that he would clobber the mattress with night after night. That is a scene. That is a picture. I sat in my couch, chain smoking, mindlessly watching television. Became clear to me that this was our new normal. You know what I'm going to say about the phrase new normal, but the rest of it, my gosh. Feel the difference between the phrase new normal and I sat on my couch, chain smoking, don't need to say mindlessly watching television, just watching television. We don't need to interpret anymore. Then we've got Matthew taking a lot of medications. Matthew saying he'll take the GED because he doesn't want to go to school anymore. Then we have you, how much work was a bomb for you, that it felt really good to be with your students. Then we have the fact that he had to defend his high school portfolio before a group of educators and he came in a costume. And then you jump to, he's 37 years old, and he lives with ongoing thoughts of suicide, but he promises he won't do it anymore. And then you have a paragraph that begins, last fall, Matthew enthusiastically told me about the movie Joker. And I made some arrogant and uninformed pronouncements about gratuitous violence that I had no desire to see the movie. And then something really interesting happens. Betsy, why don't you tell me about the Joker? Well, as Joyce said, I was uh, arrogant is the word that comes to mind. I had no interest in seeing the movie. And Matthew asked me if I would reconsider that because he found for the first time he had seen a movie that done through the lens of a mentally ill person being the Joker. And there was um, there's a, a journal inscription in the movie that you get to see on the screen. And it says, the problem with being mentally ill is everyone expects you to act as if you're not mentally ill. And that was a pivotal line for Matthew because he felt like somebody got him. And he and wanted I, you to get him. He wanted, he you wanted to me him. to get. And what was shocking for me was that I thought I did get him. And when he said those words, I realized I'm just like that. I'm just like that. I do expect him to act like he's not mentally ill when we are, you know, in public, at home. I want him to hold it together. And so I did, he and I saw that movie together. And it was, I mean, I'll just put a plug for the movie. It is an incredibly beautiful, well-cast, wonderful script. And it did change how I look at people with mental illness. And I have no doubt that what I saw and what Matthew saw are two different things as well. So I so, still have his lens. 
the reason that I went through all the other aspects of Betsy's essay first was that I wanted to recreate the experience that many people have of so many experiences that they're trying to pack into their memoir, whether it's a 300-page book or, in your case, a seven-page essay. And it included your divorce and your moving around and his becoming depressed and his getting a call from the school that, that they were scared about him and the college trip and all of them, you're being a Waldorf teacher. And those are important experiences, but they're big and overarching and they're going off in a million different directions. And then we have a small story that all takes place over two hours, basically, We could say two hours plus another day when he suggests the movie, and that is your container. And I think because we'd been studying the form of the container, I think we recognized it in the circle. It was an exciting moment. It was a really wonderful moment for all of us to see the way Betsy's story of attending that movie with Matthew would allow us to learn to understand everything else, right? Exactly, yes. It's a lot like, I think I had gone over with the group beforehand, the modern love essay that I described involving my 24 hours at the hospital waiting for my husband to come out of surgery and recognizing that I had become a person that I I wasn't before, a wife, a loving wife, a part of a couple. And in the same way, although it was a story about 24 hours, I included all those other experiences You have the opportunity, and I I think you know this now, within the story of accompanying your son to the movie, of flashing back to all those other experiences. It is a beautiful container. Joyce Maynard's podcast, Telling Your Story, can be found at JoyceMaynard.com. You'll find a new episode exploring different aspects of the art and craft of writing memoir every week. For more in-depth discussion of the writing process, check out Joyce Maynard's classes at creativelive.com. Or better yet, join her at one of her in-person workshops. Details on this and much more at joycemaynard.com.